Today, I want to get personal. I know. I feel like maybe you guys are thinking, Lena, you get personal every episode. I do. But I want to get really personal in this episode. I don't usually want to get personal. For some reason, talking about mental health, um, my stupid relationship decisions, my embarrassing decisions and friendships in the past doesn't bother me. But when I start touching on maybe health and wellness and that journey I've been on myself, I, I get a little sensitive. But I've been thinking about this and this is ha- this has been affecting me recently. I just want to talk about something because I don't believe there's enough awareness of it. Granted, there's a lot of things that we should be aware of in this world and some things probably rank over this, but with my story and with the story of others involved with this condition, I feel like it's sad and disappointing and it shouldn't be this way. For most people that are affected by this condition. I want to talk about PCOS. That is polycystic ovarian syndrome. And I kind of want to go through my experience with it. And my journey with PCOS. And maybe raise some awareness for it and kind of draw attention to some of the things that I noticed that were going on with me that were dismissed that shouldn't have been. You know, reproductive health issues affect a lot of women. They are not rare. They're not considered uncommon. Whether it be endometriosis, PCOS, uterine fibroids, um, you know, anything like that. They affect a lot of women or individuals. And they can cause some serious long-term issues and cause serious risk to health. But yet we are not being educated about it. Me, in health class, 13-year-old, I didn't know any of these things existed. I didn't even know any of these things existed until I started doing my own research on the internet. Although many of these conditions we can develop and start to deal with in our teenage years. So, here we go. I knew from the start that my periods were different. This was my first sign that something wasn't right. You know, when you first get your period and you're 13, 14 years old, maybe younger, maybe a little older, it's different for everyone, but you kind of, things are wonky at first. Your body is adjusting and it's creating its cycle, right? Um, Sometimes maybe you're really heavy, sometimes maybe you're really light, it might be kind of moving around a lot. But it is said that within a few years, you should be pretty well regulated. I never regulated. 
I never had like a set month or a set time of the month that it usually came on. I mean, I, I've known people that it'll just land on the same day each month and it won't deviate. Um, it's said that it's normal, I believe, for it to be plus minus seven days to still be considered like regular. So, you know, if you had it on the 3rd of March and then you have it on the 8th of April, it's still considered regular. Mine weren't doing that. Mine were happening on the 3rd of March and then maybe not happening in April (laughs) and then maybe happening sometime in the middle of June. And then I'd maybe get the beginning of June and then I'd get another one at the end of June. And not only that, they were extremely painful. Extremely painful and uncomfortable. And there were points in times where I remember that I would have like that kind of pain, that abdominal pain when I'd stand up or something and I would just stop and freeze. I would freeze and like, (laughs) like not move a muscle. I didn't even want to breathe because I was afraid I'd feel that again. So first of all, I'd like to point out if you're having a regular periods and they're moving around and you just never really seem to have a set date or you're skipping months all the time or you're having two in a month all the time or maybe your periods are lasting longer than seven days like mine also were and a good majority of those are maybe heavy or you're getting even medium flow the entire time that is all considered irregular so That was me. I'm having intense pain. I was raised, you know, my mom had a, she has a chronic disease. And with that disease, it's, she has chronic pain. Um, as far as I know, a lot of like joint pain and very arthritic type of pain, I believe rheumatoid actually accompanies her condition and so I think for her she wasn't trying to be insensitive I think she's just used to she's used to a very high level of pain she's gone through times of very high pain and maybe to her especially with her her period cramps were not in comparison to what her condition made her feel so I think when I told my mom that I was like having a lot of pain, she's like, yeah, girl, welcome to being a woman. Like you get cramps. And so that's kind of just what I thought is that they were just cramps and cramps just hurt that bad. I did my best to try and um, regulate my pain. Um, sorry, I'm just going to take a drink of my matcha here. I made it with coconut milk today. I don't know how I feel about it. I actually feel like I might like whole milk better with my matcha. But anyway, 
I thought that was normal. So, I'm getting around like 16 now. It's been three years since I started, um, you know, having periods and stuff. And my bleeding is getting really heavy. I'm starting to pass huge clots. I'm starting to have these intense pains, especially during my period. Almost like spasmic like pains, like just awful. Like to the point where I'm breaking out in a sweat and I have to leave a room. In accompaniment with this, I'm just, yeah, I'm having these terribly heavy flows where I am not free to really even like do anything unless there's a guaranteed way that I can change my feminine product, my tampon, my pad, whatever, every at least hour and a half. Because otherwise, I'm literally going to leave a puddle. Hey, I told you guys this was going to be TMI, but this is real stuff. I don't even feel that bad about talking about this because it's real shit. And millions of people go through it every single month. So, you know, I'm sorry if this bothers you. You don't have to continue listening if you don't like it. But I'm going to keep talking about it. So, I was having these symptoms. And it was getting to the point where I had to wake up every... As much as I could. It ended up being about maybe every two hours through the night. If I didn't wake up every two hours through the night, you know... It was looking like I hemorrhaged in my bed. Sometimes it still would, even when I woke up every two hours. I was starting to get this feeling that something wasn't right. And one night, I got up to go to the bathroom and, you know, change everything. I... started having some really intense cramping to this day I can't tell you if it was the pain or if (laughs) it was like how much blood loss I was experiencing I don't know I passed out on my parents bathroom floor and it was three in the morning the scary part is it was three in the morning and my parents were asleep so no one came and got me I believe I was having really intense nausea at this time, so I think it was already, like, kneeling on the floor. So, I don't think I had a full-on, like, thud when I hit the floor or, like, I hit my head off anything. I think I was fine as far as that, but I remember seeing spots in my vision, and then I remember waking up. I want to say I was only out for, like, maybe 20 minutes but it was scary and so eventually I had to tell my mom that I passed out and that I think it's connected to my period somehow so I got my first OBGYN appointment now There's already tons of horror stories about this. 
And to add on to it, I grew up in a really, really rural area where healthcare is even, I would say, more so diminished than anywhere else. You just have less access. You're attracting less healthcare professionals to small areas, you know, et cetera, et cetera. There's also some really, really good doctors and nurses and healthcare workers in rural areas too. Some of the nicest people, but I've had kind of a mixed experience. It seems to either be really, really good or really, really bad. So this first appointment, I was scared to death, to be honest. I wasn't vocal at all. I kind of let my mom do the talking and then I just went in by myself to, to get some, you know, to, to get the visual um, exam done by the doctor. It was an elderly woman that I think I saw for just the extent of my visual exam and that was it. And they decided that instead of doing blood work or instead of, you know, discussing anything with me, that they were just going to go right ahead and do an inner vaginal ultrasound. Now, if you've had an inner, inner, oh my god, I think it's an intravaginal ultrasound, you know it's not pleasant. I mean, nothing about going to the gynecologist is ever really that pleasant or comfortable, but this is especially unpleasant because they just have you get undressed and get in a gown, especially me sitting in there as a 16-year-old virgin. I was like shitting bricks. I was freaking out and I did have a really nice nurse who was like super friendly and like being very empathetic. But she just whips out this alien-looking thing that was the ultrasound monitor or scanner. And this thing, it was kind of shaped like a microphone. It just had this, like, big bulb on the end and then a long handle. And... Honestly, especially for someone who hadn't been, like, sexually active in the past, very uncomfortable, scary situation. Very uncomfortable. Oh, my God. And, yeah, she just, like, lubed it up and... Right? But she was... The nurse was very good. She could definitely tell I was very uncomfortable, very scared. I could not stop shaking. I was having really bad anxiety. Um, but apparently the ultrasound came back okay. They said everything looked normal. They sent me on my way. So I just continued on. You know, I just, I tried experimenting with what I could. I, I will say that like over the counter, um, Pain relievers like Tylenol, um, aspirin, anything like that just didn't cut the pain. It never cut the pain. The only thing sometimes I could find relief in was a hot pad or a heating pad. If I didn't have a heating pad, I'd fill... 
I think shout out to to Lex if you're listening to this one because um, I think it was you who taught me this. If you don't have a heating pad, people with uteruses and very painful cramps, if you don't have a heating pad, go and find an old sock you don't care about. A nice long one, okay? And you fill that sucker up with rice, okay? And you tie it. Tie it tight so you don't spill rice everywhere. And you throw that baby in the microwave for a little bit. Don't start a fire. Just put it in there for a minute or two. And it will retain heat for hours. And you just, it's just the way that the rice is just kind of like, I don't know, like movable in the sock. And like in a nice long sock, it just fits along your um, lower abdomen, along like where you probably typically kind of get your cramping. Uh, it just fits along the area perfectly. And I'll even sleep with it there so I can fall asleep when when the pain's really bad. Little hack for you that literally saved my life multiple times. So heat therapy seems to be one of the things that is effective somewhat. It, it just takes the sharpness away a little bit. I've also found that sometimes, maybe, I mean, I, I think it's worked for me a couple times and I'm not sure why. I want to say that they might even make pain relievers specifically for menstrual cramps. Maybe not, though. Don't quote me on that. Motrin seems to work. Sometimes. I have to admit there are some times where the cramps are so bad that it doesn't seem like there's a thing on this earth that's going to help. But sometimes that might take the edge off. Uh, the heat takes the edge off a little bit. Um, so, we can just like fast forward here. I was still having some issues, you know, eventually I started experiencing some different kinds of pain, some different kinds of symptoms. Now this one I'm going to be very, <laughs> I'm going to be very out there about because this one as a woman, as a woman who particularly likes to be very feminine, um, at least physically, such as myself, I started to notice hair growing excessively in some places. Now, apparently, this it, it's common to be on the chest. Maybe you kind of have a happy trail. Maybe you have some back hair more than most people. But where I noticed it for me is I was getting it on my chin. Um, you can get peach fuzz too. I won't say I, I didn't get that terrible, but I got like, I have excessive hair growth on my chin. That's not normal. I also struggled with some acne, but I didn't have like acne. Like I didn't have this like, you know, all over my cheeks or my my forehead too bad. I'd get one or maybe a little cluster on my forehead every once in a while, but I just seem to have this constant struggle, 
on my chin and my jawline area. And it wasn't like your normal pimple. I was just getting these clusters of cystic acne. Now, cystic acne, it's those big, very painful pimples you get and you can't pop them. They just sit under the skin and grow until they finally just go away. I got those. I guess it's also, I, I've struggled with this too a little bit. You get those cystic acne spots, you can get it on your chest and your back. My back has been a big struggle point for me. My back and my shoulders. And there's really nothing you can do. Because like, I know, like some, you're not supposed to pop any of your pimples. But okay, we all, we all do it. We all pop our pimples. But... You know, it's not like those pimples where you can go and you just push on them and you pop them and it's really satisfying and then maybe put some Neosporin on there or, you know, put something on there and you go to bed and you wake up the next day and basically all the inflammation and redness is gone. You might have a little scab and it's it's gone in a couple of days. These cystic pimples just stay there <laughs> for the longest time and they hurt and they almost feel like a bruise when you push on them. I got that and I struggled with acne on my chin struggled I think I just started to really kind of get it to go away in the past year and I think the biggest thing that I noticed that helped that was I know it's annoying I know everyone says it and it's annoying but drinking water okay I have been saved buy oversized water bottles. Let me tell you why. I used to never drink water. I mean, I don't even know how I'm still alive because that's how little water I used to drink. Seriously, like a glass. I would sometimes have a glass of water in like two, three days. I'm not even fucking kidding you guys. It was so bad. For some reason in my family, we just, I mean, I grew up on a farm, so we'd like make hay. When we were making hay in the summertime and it's hot and you're working hard, we would drink a lot of water. But besides that, I don't, I don't even know how much I've seen my mom ever drink water. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not joking. My family was just never really too great at that or too big on it. And it definitely followed me into my adulthood. And then I started doing it. I was at TJ Maxx and there was this giant water bottle on sale that was 64 ounces, which is half a gallon, I believe. Um, and I decided to purchase it because it was cute and it was on sale. And it changed my life because I started filling it up and I kind of started bringing it to me bringing it with me to the gym, uh, carrying it around the house with me, bringing it to work. And I'm on a whole different like hydration level at this point where I'm probably drinking, I'm drinking definitely anywhere from half a gallon to a gallon a day. 
most of the time if I'm being good with it. Sometimes I slack. But even then, I'm drinking more now than I ever used to be. Tangent over. Drink water. It really does actually make a difference. And it helps keep your body regulated. And it clears up your skin. And it just makes you feel better. Anyway, I was having that. I think I had another... I went and saw a different doctor or different gynecologist, I believe. I'm like, something's going on. I'm still dealing with this shit. I'm having moodiness. I'm having depression. I'm having anxiety. The doctor was kind of like, well, you just have depression and anxiety. I'm like, okay. So I decide to just say, well, I have a family history of thyroid problems. I do. So I was like, maybe, you know, can we check that? So they decided to check my thyroid. They just ran labs. The doctor says to me, she said, everything came back normal. Your thyroid's fine. The only thing you had was an elevated testosterone level, but you're good. We should probably just start you on birth control. Okay, I tried birth control. Oh, I wonder if you can hear my my notification. Sorry. Sorry, guys. But, so, I started birth control. That is something that I, obviously I had to try it, but it was a bad experience. The bigger clots more bleeding, more cramping, just terrible, more moodiness, oh my god, oh my god, the moodiness, so it's finally getting to the point where I'm really starting to think about this stuff, and I, I'm still having irregularity, I'm still having issues with it, I just stopped taking birth control after about a year. I tried the estrogen. I tried the progesterone and the estrogen. I believe I'm saying that right. I I tried it, okay? Hormonal birth control didn't work. And not only did it not work, I seemed to have a terrible reaction to it. So, I kind of just gave up. I was like, well, I don't know what's going on with me. I keep having these reactions. I keep having all these symptoms. I have awful periods. I have acne. I'm getting hair in places I don't want hair. I don't know what to do. This is just hormones, I guess. This is just my life now. Fast forward to now. I've been off birth control for a while. I'm still having painful, irregular periods. I'm still having all the same symptoms. So, I get fed up. Well, I guess this isn't quite now. Maybe rewind to a few months ago. I make another appointment with a gynecologist. I go in and I say, 
something's wrong here. I've been talking to my mom and I, my birth mom has PCOS. And my birth aunt, who was her twin, had uterine fibroids. I was like, I'm really starting to suspect that something is off here. So she starts questioning me and she goes, well, you know, have you, do you know what your cycles are? And this annoyed me. I don't like to say anything bad about people. Maybe this gynecologist was just having a bad fucking day. But let me tell you, she was rude as shit. And very dismissive. And it's very saddening that I got treated this way. I don't know if it's because I'm in my younger 20s. Or if it's just because this is how you get treated as a woman by gynecologists. I don't, I don't know. But it makes me angry to even think about the fact that other people are going through this and are getting treated this way. So, I tell her what I'm going through. I've been tracking my cycles forever because I've known something was up forever. And I show her my cycles. They are irregular. And she goes, well, they were normal for a while and they're just starting to get irregular again. So, they're not technically irregular. She literally told me this, guys. She literally told me that. And then I go, well, look, I've had, I've been tracking this for years. Like, it it fluctuates for years and it's never really regulated. And she's like, no, I only need to see the past six months. Okay. Of course, (laughs) she says, what other symptoms are you having? I said, I think, you know, I'm having acne. I'm having really intense pain. I'm having, you know, excessive hair growth. And she's like, well, let me see the hair growth. I'm like, lady, I'm a 20 something year old girl. I pluck them bitches out. I'm not going to let them sit there and grow. What, am I supposed to grow a beard so that you can see proof that I have hair growing on my chin? I wouldn't tell you that unless it's happening. I said I plucked it out. She goes, okay. She looked at me like she thought I was lying. So, of course she goes, well, you know, have you tried birth control? Yes, I've tried birth control. It made my symptoms worse. And she looks at me and goes, that's not how birth control works. Yes, no shit. I know that's not how it's supposed to work. (laughs) That's why I'm here. That's why I'm here talking to you. Because the birth control is not doing what it's supposed to be doing. Which means something's wrong with the birth control or something is wrong with my body. Honestly, guys, I was just talking to my friend about this earlier and I'm like, I work in healthcare. I've worked for healthcare in years. I should be more outspoken about when I am not treated like I should be treated, like I know I should be treated or how I would treat a patient in the caregiver's position. 
but you know I when I'm a patient I get anxious and I don't like to say stuff and I don't like to to cause a riot but apparently I have to be a lot more assertive she just spent the rest of the time talking to me about how I should be on birth control so um yeah that's all the information I got from that fast forward a few months to recent to current time I get so fed up that I call I schedule a telehealth appointment with a doctor who probably lives 500 miles away from me I specifically went and paid money and sought out a doctor and here's a really really good tidbit of advice that I'm going to give you Especially if you suspect that you have PCOS specifically. I did not just seek out an OBGYN. Let me tell you why. PCOS is called polycystic ovarian syndrome. Because it used to be characterized by cysts on the ovaries. Current research shows that you don't always have to have cysts on your ovaries to have PCOS. Because PCOS is hormonal. It does relate to your ovaries and reproductive hormones in your reproductive system. And it affects your ovulation and your reproductive system. But it's actually a metabolic disorder. And I guess they're even thinking about renaming it so that the name is not so misleading. It is a metabolic and endocrine issue because it has to do with hormone release. So do you remember when I mentioned that I went and got that lab done and they said I had elevated testosterone? But they said I was fine and they sent me away. I told that to the new doctor that I was talking to. I made sure to seek out someone. And this is the point I was trying to make. But I totally went off on a rabbit trail. I specifically seeked out a doctor that did work in gynecology. But also had a background in metabolic disorders and endocrinology. I believe that's how you say it. Because I discovered that PCOS is a metabolic disorder. So I was like, well, I'm going to go with someone that I know knows more about this. And he (laughs) enlightened me a lot. He told me that, you know, actually a high, an elevated level of testosterone coming back in labs is basically the diagnosing factor one of the diagnosing factors of PCOS because what PCOS is as far as I can understand I'm not a doctor but you get these kind of um you do get you can get cysts and you can get like these um you have these little follicles on your ovaries and they get inflamed. Um, And your ovaries, they release more androgens, like testosterone, 
than it's supposed to. And it kind of throws your whole body off. So, this causes some big issues. Not just with, you know, having pain or having cysts or having heavy periods or having, you know, the external physiological issues. But this also causes issues with blood sugar. It causes excessive weight gain in the midsection area, which obviously is hard on your heart. So, when you have PCOS, it actually um, causes insulin resistance. So, it causes a spike in your blood sugar and often can lead to being diabetic. It leads to obesity. It leads to cardiovascular disease. It leads to liver disease. And this is real stuff because I know someone that hadn't been treated for this for a long time. And she ended up, she's on high blood pressure medication now and she's not even 40. If this is let go and continues to be undiagnosed or underdiagnosed and undertreated, it's not like it's just like, oh, like she's just going to have chin hair for the rest of her life. This kills people from young ages. And I had to go to five different doctors to get diagnosed. When I had the diagnosing indicators two years ago. And I was trying to say something over and over and over again. And I just got dismissed and shut down. And told to go on birth control. Why does that happen? Why does that happen? I and it's especially offensive when you go in for something like that and you're getting that done from another woman. And she's really not going to listen to what you have to say about your body. Not a girl's girl for sure, for sure. I'm disappointed. I am now relieved though because I finally got my diagnosis and it just makes sense and I finally feel validated and heard. And you know, I just want to say too if you're having a similar experience You know your body. And this doesn't just go for this. This goes for just about anything. You know your body better than anyone. And I feel like whether it's just a, you know, evolutionary survival instinct, we know when something is wrong and something just isn't 
isn't functioning the way it should be. And when you have that instinct, you have that gut feeling, you need to go get help. And if you are not getting heard by someone, you need to go to someone else. You know, request a consultation with someone before you agree to see them. Or, you know, maybe ask around about them. Do things to maybe save yourself some bills. But don't stop going until you find someone that is actually going to listen to you and help you. Fortunately, I'm I'm still young and I still have a lot of time to kind of understand what's happening and, you know, educate myself about it and, you know, see what works. Um, you know, a lot of times when you're having pain, it's rooted in inflammation and inflammation is like the big thing about PCOS. And one of the things that I've decided to do, which is going to suck because I am a sweet tooth girl. I am a bread girl. I love donuts. I love cake. I love cupcakes. I love frosting. I am terrible. Uh, I shouldn't say I'm terrible. I don't know. Maybe I just am saying that because I have a little, I have a little hard time controlling myself with that kind of stuff. I won't normally like totally like eat a whole thing of cupcakes, but I might have one or two and it's hard for me to say no, but I, from my research, I found that you should avoid inflammatory foods. And, you know, maybe you guys might think I'm a little nutty for this too, but my mom always taught me because of what she went through with her condition is that the first step you take when you have a diagnosis or a health condition you're dealing with, especially one that is rooted in in pain and inflammation, is you target your diet and your lifestyle. I already work out consistently, fairly consistently. And I I lift and I usually I do some I do some cardio and some core stuff. Um So you know I'm good there. But Oh yeah, I was going to read you the list. I feel like I'm a little scatterbrained today, guys. So I'm sorry about that. I hope I'm still offering you some useful information here. So I kind of got a list of things that are kind of the yes and no for a PCOS diet. So right off the bat, Sugar, processed sugar, sweeteners, they're inflammatory. They cause problems. We kind of already went over this in my food episode. Most of that processed shit is really bad for you. 
just in general, but it's really bad for inflammation too. It causes irritation. Um, and that includes, um, kind of like your unhealthy carbs, um, cakes, candy, cookies, other sweets. This was a big one that I learned and I cut out that not a lot of people know about it. Cereal. Take, take some time the next time that you are eating any sort of name brand non-organic cereal. The shit they put in there. There's so much sugar in cereal. And I, oh, I love me a bowl of cereal. I love me a bowl of cereal. But the reason that I probably love it is because it's totally packed with processed sugars. <laughs> And, you know, are very addicting. Yogurt. Yogurt. There's a big misconception that yogurt is very healthy for you. A lot of times when you're buying name brand yogurt, you will find there's a ton of sugar in it. And it's not actually that good for you. And all that added processed sugar is probably killing any of the good bacteria in the yogurt for your gut health. So, it's pointless. There are some good yogurts out there, but you do have to be really careful. Ice cream with excess sugar or sugar substitutes. Um, white rice. White and whole wheat bread. Dried fruits, such as dates, raisins, and cranberries. I haven't done a lot of research on that one, so I'm not really sure why dried fruits are worse than fresh fruits. Um, crisps and even rice crackers. Um, potatoes, french fries, obviously soda is a big no-no. Sweet tea. Sweet teas are often kind of advertised as, you know, a better alternative to pop but still good tasting. They have just as much sugar. So does lemonade. Lemonade has just as much sugar and usually just as much calories as a pop. Uh, sports drinks are actually really high in sugar. Obviously, they kind of power pack a lot of sports drinks with everything. Because um, you need that when you're playing sports. <laughs> but for the everyday person, they're not that good for you. And they usually have really bad dyes too. So they're like not good and carcinogenic. But um, I sound like a total nut right now. But... I'm just saying, it's just facts. If you don't believe me, look it up. Some foods they recommend for PCOS are whole grains, vegetables, legumes, legumes, nuts, seeds, whole fruits rather than juices. I imagine if you take a fruit like an orange and you just like squeeze out your own orange juice, that's probably fine. It's just when you buy it, fruit juices that are advertised as healthy in stores, those also, guess what, have a ton of processed sugar added to them. Because when you add a substance that lights up the brain with dopamine similar to co cocaine, it makes people want to buy more of it. Who would have thought? Lean proteins such as fish and chicken breast. I am kind of a red meat girly. I am a beef girl. <laughs> I don't even want to say that. I don't want to say that. Uh, 
Yeah, so nuts, berries, green leafy vegetables, seeds, natural sweeteners like maple syrup. This one is a catch too. Maple syrup and honey is great if you can find actual organic products of maple syrup and honey. Once again, if you don't believe me, look up a documentary on how mainstream maple syrup and honey is made. They add a lot of sugar water to that shit. Meat, beans and lentils, whole grains, olive and coconut oils. I already use a lot of olive and coconut oil, coconut milk. So that one is not terrible. Berries, fatty, fatty fish, tomatoes. I have a whole garden full of tomatoes right now. So I'm excited for that. Broccoli. Avocados. I see avocados a lot. For PCOS. Mushrooms. And dark chocolate and cocoa. So yes, I have found some really PCOS PCOS friendly desserts online. Like recipes for them. That even maybe help the PCOS inflammation. So you don't have to completely cut off sweets. The thing about this is is that for me, it was like very daunting because I'm like, oh my god, my life is over. It's not over. You just have to find new ways to do things. And I mean, I didn't even understand before this how big of a lifestyle change is kind of actually expected when you get diagnosed with something like this. Because here are your options. You're either going to end up probably diabetic probably have heart disease, maybe get liver disease, and you're at super high risk for obesity because your body just doesn't seem to be able to process the carbs and the sweets. Or you accept and implement a lifestyle change that works with what you got. And you can still enjoy things, you can still have desserts, you can still have foods you love. But you have to think outside the box and you have to do things a little differently. I unfortunately love processed food. I love it. As much as I preach against it, I love it. And it's gonna, this is gonna be a hard change for me. There are also medication options like metformin. Maybe some of you are on it or maybe, you know, maybe you guys have more experience with that. But as of right now, my PCOS diagnosis is not really associated with high blood sugars that we know of. I actually typically run kind of low. So I don't know if I will necessarily be trying that medication right away. If I'm still having some pretty big issues after I try to implement this like anti-inflammatory diet and lifestyle. Um, I, you know, it might be a, an option in the future. I just was taught that maybe try and tackle a natural approach before a pharmaceutical approach. That doesn't work with everything, but... You know, especially with, like, hormonal disorders and stuff. It's not a bad approach to have. Some of these I already had started to implement just because I wanted a healthier lifestyle. And I have already noticed some improvements. Like, for example, with my acne. 
I've cut way back on caffeine. I've kind of replaced my iced coffees with matcha. And I actually happen to love matcha. I probably love matcha more than coffee anyway. So, another thing I just want to touch on real quick as far as diet that I have seemed to learn from research is something to be careful of. Be careful of alcohol too, if you like to drink. Alcoholic beverages have tons of sugar in it. They're very inflammatory. Alcohol is very inflammatory and it is a depressant. So a lot of things going on there. I also wanted to include another symptom that I noticed that I just, you know, it's a, Ooh, I'm about to sneeze. (coughs) Excuse me. Oh man. But, um, something I noticed and I really don't want this to come across the wrong way. Hear me out. I'm just going to talk about it. And I don't want any of you guys to think that I'm saying that bigger people aren't beautiful because they are. And people are, uh, are bigger or built bigger for a multitude of different reasons. But something I noticed with me is that after I I did have a flat stomach at one point but I thought about it and I'm like when I had a flat stomach do you know what kind of diet I had I was basically on a like paleo keto like diet which is probably why that happened I dropped weight really fast I dropped the weight in my face really fast. Probably because it wasn't even weight in my face necessarily. And it wasn't all weight in my stomach. It was inflammation. And I cut out a lot of the foods that were inflaming my body. So, now here I am. I've been working out lifting consistently. Fairly consistently. Enough where it should definitely be making a difference. And I've been active. And I've been working a job but I wasn't losing my belly. And I'm like, what is going on? What am I doing wrong? And then this came up and I'm like, no shit. And just for funsies, I went and looked up online. I'm like, what does a PCOS belly look like? Because I was reading these things about a PCOS belly. It's almost shaped like... I don't know how to explain it. You kind of have like a larger pouch on the bottom... And, like, it can look kind of funny because your legs will be, like, in shape and smaller. Your arms can be in shape and smaller. But you just have this, like, pouch on the front of your stomach right over your, like, reproductive organs you can't get rid of. And maybe it gets even worse around your period and stuff or even just any time during your cycle from excessive bloating. And you'll also notice that the upper part of your stomach will also stick out. It usually will stick out a little less than that pouch and there's a little kind of indent in between and then your pouch starts. It's a kind of a very specific shape and you can almost feel in that upper part of your stomach that there's hardly even really like a a ton of fat there. It just feels puffy 
I'm like poking my stomach right now <laughs> to try and describe it. Um, that's a very specific look. And they, it's it said that this like, when it gets more extreme, when you're maybe gaining more weight from PCOS, it puts all of that fat in the midsection of the body. You can still have tiny legs, tiny arms, and you will just have all this fat, residual fat on the midsection of your body. This is very dangerous, and we actually, we we learn about, people learn about this in, like, nursing school, at least, where that body shape, we kind of learn that, like, pear shape is typically considered more healthy than a triangular body shape or an apple body shape. Because all of that fat is being stored right by your heart and essential organs. And then you're getting inflammation there. You're getting fluid retention in there. And that's where you get your cardiovascular issues and, you know, maybe fatty liver disease, um, things like that. So... To kind of bring my tirade into a close, first of all, like I said, you know your body better than anyone else. If you know something is wrong, go and talk to somebody. Go and find a doctor. Go and find someone who will listen to you. Don't stop until you find someone who listens to you. And if that means you have to telehealth a doctor across the country to get them to listen to you and get someone to finally give you that diagnosis so you can get what you need, then do it. Educate yourself. Figure out where your family history is. Sometimes doctors will be a lot more apt to take you seriously if you say, hey, I have a genetic history of this, which raises my likelihood of having it. And just having a uterus, I mean... 15% of women, I read, I guess it, it did change a little bit from article to article, but 10 to 15% of women have PCOS. As a whole, that's quite a bit. But yeah, find someone who will listen to you. Um... Not me going blank again. <sighs> if you're noticing symptoms like me, or some of what I described, and maybe do your own research too, um, this might be something that you're dealing with. And, you know... I'm kind of tired of, like, talking to people and reproductive health issues just being treated that, like, they're just bad cramps. Or, oh, you just get, you know, uh, some residual fat in your stomach. Or, oh, like, I don't even know how to even describe how I'm feeling. I'm tired of people acting like reproductive health issues don't matter as much as other health issues. Does that make sense? I hope it makes sense. 
Because it seems to me like, especially in healthcare, these issues get treated like like they couldn't cut our lives short, which they can. Like they couldn't cause infertility. Like they don't cause eventual endometrial cancer or heart disease or diabetes. Which some of which may not kill you, but they're going to make your life harder. And I think it's unfair that it seems like we have to fight to be heard about them. Why do we have to fight to be heard about our problems? Why do we get treated like we're Delulu and crazy when we say, birth control doesn't work for me? Or when we say, there's something wrong here. I know there's something wrong. Or when you've done your research, or maybe you have knowledge in the situation, and you say, maybe I should get, you know, a lab done, or maybe I should try this, and you get treated like you're stupid. I don't know. I just want you to know that if you if you are reproductively challenged, if you have reproductive health issues, um I just want you to know I see you today and I'm with you. I'm with you now and um I'm sorry for everything that you've had to go through and I hope that it's getting better for you and I hope maybe my story or some of the information I provided can be helpful or relatable to you Um, to everyone else listening to my podcast thank you for being here I appreciate you um, I I hope you all have a really good rest of your week. And I guess I will see you next time. <laughs>